Alright everyone, I'm Mike Benamo. Welcome to another episode of Fight the Fate. Today, we have Brian Davies. And we have Robert Kraft. Yeah. Robert Kraft. He actually, if you go back and listen to the Robert Kraft interview, military experience... Vietnam You're gonna want to check dinner. that out. Yeah, Vietnam for dinner. Get some back, get some background information on this guy before you listen to him talk. He'll tell you the finer points of white supremacy <laughs> and genocide. Today we are gonna be doing William Sherman Part Two. Last week we left off with the episode. He was marching his troops straight into Atlanta. The Confederates couldn't afford to give the Union this vantage point being that it was one of the engines of the South. Like Atlanta was like where all the railroad, the, all the uh, the railroads came out of, all the goods. It could go like all the way to the Gulf of Mexico and all the way to Charleston. If you, if you shifted the map over, it would be the equivalent to Chicago. You know, it's just right in the middle of everything. If you want to get anywhere, you go through there. It was a hub. Yeah, all these goods and other people and so forth to move north, south, east, or west. And beyond that, just a symbol of the South. Now, Sherman set the city on fire, and when all the civilians saw the collapse around them, they questioned whether they should continue to back the Confederacy. Like, dude, I think I should switch sides. Like, there's too many fires. At a certain point, what the fuck are you fighting for? If, like, your home's all destroyed, your fields are destroyed... I don't know. I think I might have to switch sides. I don't think I can stay there. Now, let me take you back. Remember we covered the bombardment of Fort Sumter last episode? And that's pretty much where all the action began. So we're going to go from a different viewpoint other than Sherman's and the Union Army. We're going to go to this woman named Mary Boykin Chestnut. And she watched the destruction from her rooftop. Now, Mary's husband was a U.S. Senator, James Chestnut, and he signed South Carolina's Ordinance of Secession. All this family knew was the South, and we are lucky to have Mary's diary detailing life during the war. Do you think they had a horse named Chestnut? No. It's their last name. Just asking. There was a horse named Blackie. What about Pretzel? <laughs> no, that was uh, Gen- I, I General, it, General Meade's horse was Blackie. I bet it was. He loved that horse. <laughs> I'm sure he did. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to – I'm throughout the – so, Are you trying to say that like he was from a place where the men were men and the horses were frayed? No, he didn't rape any horses. Back when horses knew their place? Yeah. No one ever tried to molest a horse. Thank goodness. All right, yeah, so I'm going to be going through her diary. I went to the date. So as I was following Sherman's life, I looked at the date, and I went to a date in her diary. When Atlanta fell, Mary wrote, September 2nd, the battle has been raging at Atlanta, and our fate hanging in the balance. Atlanta, indeed, is gone. Well, that agony is over. Like David, when the child was dead... I will get up from my knees, will wash my face and comb my hair. No hope, we will try to have no fear. The end has come, no doubt of the fact. Our army has so moved as to uncover Macon and Augusta. We are going to be wiped off the face of the earth. What is there to prevent Sherman taking General Lee in the rear? We have but two armies and Sherman is between them now. She was devastated. Like, my life is over. But you mean after Lee surrenders, he's going to have to take it in the ass? He should have. They should have made him do that after he surrendered. Like, he was just real good at a flank. That's, like, people people say he was this great general. That's all I really see is just, like, and he flanked him. And then he flanked him again. He just kept flanking. And then he failed to flank, and so he went further deep and then came back to flank again. Did a deeper flank. Deeper, deep flankening. So the Confederates high-touted out of there, heading west to Tennessee and Alabama, Sherman had a decision to make. 
Let them run or send troops to chase them. Splitting his troops, 60,000 were sent to Nashville. The other 62,000 turned towards Savannah. I have a question. Did the Confederates retreat or were they tacking in another direction? Because retrograde movements are generally frowned upon, so... They always did that shit. They always retreated. Well, I guess it wasn't... Especially Johnston. He was known as being a retreater. Yeah, Johnston (laughs) got a lot of shit because he would always end up retreating. He would fight for a little bit and then fight to... Then he would attack in a different direction. Again, Sherman would just keep flanking him and fucking up, like beating him up from the back, hitting him from behind and shit. And we'll see later how Johnston was actually, like, forced Uh, to fight. What the fuck? Uh, Oh, so, like... uh, Johnson, I don't know where he was from, but Sherman was familiar with this area at large. He spent some time here as a child, I believe, for whatever reason. So he was familiar with the hilly terrain uh, of this, at least this area of the South. So he was more prepared than Johnston was for what what had to be done to like do flanking maneuvers and shit like that. So it's important because that will come out later, this stuff with terrain and all mm-hmm. this type of thing. It was, it's a feature of modern warfare. The Germans came over later and he- studied all these strategies and troop movements and also terrorism and then later the gift that we gave to the world of Jim Crow and eugenics was something that was also later incorporated into the doctrines of racial hygiene and so forth. This whole thing, Sherman tells everyone in one simple statement. I will be smashing things all the way to the sea. That's it. And he's also famous for saying, this must be Tennessee because there's only 10 I see. Did he say that? I'm pretty sure he said that. He's the one who created that saying? He created that. Holy shit. Uh, Deciding that the South was only powerful because of their material and moral support, it was time to scorch the earth and take it to these damn civilians. Amen. Imagine Sherman shows up at your house. He shits in your water, burns down your garden, and cuts down your trees and just walks away. Thank you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> it, it wasn't that bad. Yes, it was. No, it was, I, It got bad in Atlanta. It got bad in Atlanta, but it was any anything that the that could theoretically be military used. We'll get later there, like when when he takes Atlanta. Spoiler alert. Then they were burning like the mansions of some of the homes they were staying in. But anything, anything, railway, food lines. Uh, they often said he had a map with them that was a census map, so he knew as he was traveling. And he got cut off from his supply lines, which the area he was going in, how much cattle, how much chicken, how much people, how much water, how much hay, how much grain was there. So he could supply himself as he goes, like strategically plot out his route to re- resupply. He was a savage. He was a strategist. Of yeah, the highest was, I mean, yeah, the, in the days before Yelp, he had these maps in the census to find out where there were resources and assets that could be put to use. And to that's why you don't market. answer your doors about the census, folks. Yeah. I already told them everything. They, I, they just stopped by. What? Yeah. They know everything. They directly asked me how much gold I have. I'm like, nah. No habla. <laughs> me amo Brion. Regresa en 30 minutos. Yeah, like you just said, all the soldiers were uh, slaughtering the lives. They would, yeah, they would slaughter the livestock too. But if they, little, if they, it's kind of hard not to eat. It's kind of hard to eat. it's still alive. Yeah, well, no, hundred percent that. But to say he was literally burning like everything around him. He no, wasn't, no, just to like kill the animals. No, just yeah, so no, no one else could get it. Yeah, if it again military use, like you can't really just use a tree as like as anything really. Like you could, like if you had a sawmill and all that shit. But like it wasn't wholesale destruction. There was there was a point to it. It was managed destruction or yeah. strategic destruction. Chaotic, yeah. chaotic uh, lawful chaos. Lawful evil? I forget. I haven't played D&D in How a while. How many civilians o- do you ordered think? chaos? Maybe? Nah, I think it's lawful, neutral, evil. Do you Did th- they learn that from the Swiss, the neutral Swiss? or no? That would come <laughs> later. Come what later. about the civilians, though? Like, What about them? Who gives a fuck? Do you think they killed a lot of them? Or was they no, were just I, like... No, I didn't. There were, there's usually some excesses by some loan or rogue operators some deaths but, but not but like, this was not you know we weren't uh no we we definitely have the moral high the north has the moral high ground in it in the history like there's many stories of like black black northern troops fighting in this war and as soon as they surrender just being massacred or 
forced back into like making uh, making trenches or little earthen works, like making the captured captured free men build fortifications and shit, and working them near to death. They actually called these soldiers bummers. Bummers. Yeah, and well, one soldier wrote, "It isn't so sweet to secede, is it?" <laughs> That's all so he she, says. Was that before Splendor? Or? <laughs> No, when, <laughs> you know, when Sherman eventually reached Savannah, the city was empty and unprotected. All the Confederate soldiers that were supposed to be there already heard the horror stories and fled the area. I also read that like even before the Union got there, the Confederates were already like destructing Atlanta because they were building so many forts and stuff. That it was already like all fucked up from them just like trying to build a defense around it. They had to uh, scavenge, scavenge, and um... and this this was really important for America because uh, Lincoln Lincoln was losing in the polls, I believe, to a to his Democratic counterpart uh, for the upcoming election, and uh, I believe Sherman sent him a letter saying, uh, "I have for you a gift of Savannah," you know, because the war Atlanta took. A long time period and people were losing faith that and the democratic counterpart to lincoln's republican uh was fover uh was running on a, a platform of negotiating peace with the south like was it a peace a with com- honor a compromise just mm-hmm. some sort of compromise i don't know what it, like you can kind of have slaves on saturday i don't know what it was but well, peace with honor that preceded nixon's uh, strategy slogan bomb the fuck out of them well that no that was general lemay we're gonna bomb them back to the stone ages nixon was peace with honor so sherman was doing good but mm-hmm. on the other hand grant was struggling to advance against robert e lee's army of north virginia and that like these pairings of generals just battling like no one else came in they were just stayed with each other fighting on on like one one he did they didn't move too much yeah, it was they, like Penn State versus Ohio yeah, at the homecoming. Yeah, they, it was they just sat there. Grand old time. No one could flank. It was proposed that like Sherman could eventually take Grant's position as commander of the Union Army, but Sherman didn't. He wasn't having that shit. He wrote a letter proclaiming his loyalty to his friend. General Grant is a great general. I know him well. He stood by me when I was crazy. I stood by him when he was drunk. And now, sir, we stand by each other always. God's will be done. Oh, yeah. He loved them. Like, that, that's, that's, that's really bold that he references the criticism towards both of them. Yeah, like he wouldn't even accept a promotion. It's almost like they built people uh, with a sense of humor back then. It's how honorably <laughs> deprecating, yes. Now, still in Savannah, Sherman received word that his infant son, Charles, had died. The general never laid eyes upon his child. Getting word. I think he had, I don't I forget how many children he had. I think it was one or two. Grant ordered Sherman to come help him defeat Lee in Virginia, but William had other plans. He wanted to head straight back north into the Carolinas. He especially had eyes for South Carolina, the first state to secede. Just because of that, they wanted to, like, murder everyone there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And along the way, he was he hardly faced any resistance from Joseph E. Johnston's Confederate troops. Getting to Columbia, the capital of South Carolina, February 16, 1865, he lit a fire in the heart of the city. By the next morning, everything was destroyed. Do you think they had cigarettes when they got to Winston-Salem? Hopefully. Hey. Then the fire, was it like Apocalypse Now? I want my T-bone medium rare. They burned the whole thing mm. to the ground. But we have... Does burning do ba- burning bales of cotton smell like victory? I don't know. There's no. probably no other smell like it in the world. I'll go, I'm will go. i going to go test that when I get home. I have some cotton balls. Just go, <laughs> go dig out from the lint dryer. I got to reenact the Sherman. Actually, the dryer lint, that makes great... Uh, Tinder? Yeah. Yeah, if you take that stuff and put lighter fluid in it, it it's very helpful in starting fires. With, with. Take, you hear that, everyone? Take that camping with you. Take your lint with you. Kids, go to school with some dryer <laughs> lint and set a fire. 
Now, Robert we, Kraft. We have the <laughs> the next diary uh, writings from Mary Boykin Miller, and this was her perspective from the burning of Columbia. General Joseph E. Johnston joined us. He explained to all of us Lee's and Stonewall Jackson's mistakes. We had nothing to say. How could we say anything? What more can you say that hasn't already been said? Just defeated. This lady is so defeated in all of her writings. Like the world is about to end. Yes. But it, it is like it's a crazy it, like inside look at like life at that time. Mm-hmm. So a letter, this is what she writes. A letter from my husband who is at Charlotte. He came near being taken a prisoner in Columbia, for he was asleep the morning of 17th. When the Yankees blew up the railroad depot, that woke him, of course, and he found everybody had left Columbia, and the town surrendered by Mayor Colonel Goodwin. Were there woke people back then? Yeah. Wow. There was no fire in the town when they left. They overtook Hampton's command at Meeks Mill, that night, from the hills, they were encamped. They saw the fire and knew the Yankees were burning the town, as we had every reason to expect they would. Molly was left in charge of everything of mine, including Mrs. Preston's cow, which I was keeping, and Sally Goodwin's furniture. You know, Meeks Mill, I think there's, like I, said, I think there's a place slightly west of Baltimore called Meeks Mill. I think that, that name uh, lived on. That's where the famous rapper gets his name. Mikus Millis. Mikus Millis. <laughs> oh, here's another thing she wrote. Charleston and Wilmington have surrendered. I have no further use for a newspaper. I never want to see another one as long as I live. I have no use for further use for it. That sounds like Citizen Kane. He thinks it would be fun to own a newspaper. She just doesn't want to... It's fake news, Rob. Yeah, before fakery. She didn't want to face what was going on. Face tolerant. Well, the times they are changing. <laughs> now leaving. Is a... the answer blowing in the wind? Oh, we are in the wind. That's Kansas, not Bob Dylan. Oh my! I... Leaving a trail of damage, it was time for Sherman to move on to North Carolina. When they got to the Lumber River, it was flooded by torrential rains. Asking for help from the local Native American Lumbee tribe, they pushed forward. This is what you were talking about with the terrain and stuff. This is where it gets, like, insane with them marching through North Carolina. Another major difference was the men didn't feel like North Carolina wanted to secede from the United States, but they were baited into it since they were the second-to-last state to secede. The troops knew it and left the civilians and state infrastructure mostly intact. What do you think? Do you think North Carolina could have been pressured into seceding when they didn't really want to? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, Either you're with us or you're with the, you get into this dual manichae. Where, what if North Carolina was neutral? I mean, it's the classic. They're not in Switzerland. So, I mean, there's just. <laughs> They're like, go around us. It's the classic uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, non, non-playable character argument for the Nazis. You know, yeah. like everyone around you is becoming a Nazi and joining in the the bloodlust. So what that. are you going to, are you going to? Well, hold on. I mean, they joined in the bloodlust, but not everyone became a Nazi. There's just, they like, just, just wanted the just money. Just like in the, I mean, they behaved that, they went along with it, but they weren't card carrying members the same way in the Soviet Union. They just it. wore their pen like Oscar Schindler. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not everyone had a, tat, a skull and crossbones swastika tattoo in their left armpit, but they certainly served in the army. And they, I just found out about uh, dueling scars the other day. Well, you didn't know? Well, you were, the Kurt Walson, Waltenberg was, be, Kurt Waldheim, excuse me, was before your time. Yeah. But that's just, when you see like Waldheim, if you go, those the guys with the scars on their cheeks and their forehead, yeah, that was, when you, lost and you would have to stand there and the guy would take the tip of his thing and mm. now joseph e johnston and william sherman met in battle one last time at the battle of bentonville robert mm. e lee ordered johnston to gather all available armies and put them together to make a massive army known as the army of the south this is like their last ditch effort to try to 
Like the Battle of the Bulge on the Western Front. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but this shit wasn't going to work. No kidding. Since the Union had split up into two forces that were 12 miles apart, they thought they could attack one side at a time with all their strength. Mm. But it just wasn't enough. Johnston retreated across Mill Creek and burned the bridge behind him. Johnston just retreating again. And also biting uh, Sherman's style. Why? He's burning shit. Oh, yeah. He got a little burn in there. Stealing from the playbook. (laughs) Pyro. That Yankee playbook. Johnston was a good man. What? Didn't know. Yeah. We're going to get into how, like, after everything's done, how crazy it is when everyone came together. I don't know how this happened. When the war was over, everyone just became one again. Yeah. Like, that should have never happened. I don't know. It's just so crazy to think, like, we didn't punish them. They immediately got on, like, the union's level of, they just said it's, don't, all right, just forget about all this. Well, just well some of it, but there were there were reparations, and then there were, um, there were tariffs, and there were yeah, other not, things. Yeah, but compared to, like, what went down, it was like, oh, they let them off. It was, like, it, it was much it was very similar to live and let live. They but just, Johnston will come into play at uh, like way later. It's actually crazy what when he reappears. Over at Appomattox Courthouse, Virginia, Robert E. Lee was near the end of his struggle. He was rimrocked, unable to move toward a surviving army in North Carolina and constantly harassed by Union cavalry. Sending a message to General Grant, Lee wanted to meet up to discuss his defeat, deciding to meet in the parlor of the Wilmer McLean home. Who's manning the dictionary? What is rimrock? That's when you, when you're um, stuck between a rock when you're and mount, a hard When you're mountain climbing or you get to a rock where you can't get back down and you can't go up anymore. Okay. So now you're stuck on that rock. Watch Man vs. Wild. Yeah, they met in this Wilmer McLean home. It still stands. You can go visit it today. See where the meeting took place. And these two guys, Lee and Grant, they already knew each other from the Mexican-American War. Mm -hmm. And Lee showed up in full dress attire, sash, sword, and all. And here comes Grant staggering in, covered in mud, fresh off the battlefield, and that's where the terms were written out. All the officers and men were pardoned. Everyone could keep their private property, including horses. And Confederates were given Union food rations. This is very, there's a couple of legacies to follow here. One of the, this is this, the tenor and spirit of terms that were the Russians tried to offer to the Germans at Stalingrad, that they would be treated well and officers could keep their personal sidearms and so forth and be given rations. And then the other thing with the rations, when uh, MacArthur uh, took over and occupied Japan, supposedly our forces were put on short rations so that the civilians could be fed. So this was actually, these were very, very progressive terms. So that's got to be like the best way to get it done, right? Yeah, well, there's a couple of schools of thought. I mean, you um, when you actually achieve true victory, you triumph over your enemy, you can subjugate them and do all that, or you can raise them up to be equals and so that it's easier for you as a conqueror to rule, or you can make the mistake that they did in World War One. you have your enemy, you kick him in the belly, and then you give him his sword back and have dire consequences 20 years later. And plus, the at the end of the day, after all, all the shit kicked off, everyone wanted the, the country to be whole again. Absolutely. Because it's important to note there has never been a greater loss of U.S. lives in uh, in history, I think. Yeah. It's, it's a half, a half a million dead at the end of the war. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's I think that it was double the battlefield deaths of World War II. Mm-hmm. That's insane. And then like, the draft. I mean, we have this romanticized look back at the, all the anti-draft crap of the 60s, but the most violent draft riot, anti-draft riots in, in history were in, in during the Civil War. In New York, yeah. The, mm-hmm. And then this whole business, I mean, draft evasion and dra- was nothing new. Is that I the mean, end of Gangs in New York? Where, they, they like, where the draft is happening and is, the, they I come think, in to like, lay siege? Yeah, that is the Civil War in that movie. Yeah. 
Holy shit. But you could also, if you had money, instead of a college deferment, you could just pay someone to stand in uh, to take your place. Yeah, the rich, in the movie, the rich people were trying to like, yeah, they're like, he asked them, he's like, you're drafted. He's like, do you have $300 or something? Mm. And the guy's like, who has $300? Just and one then, percenters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And not the one percenters from the Hells Angels, but they're our version of that movie actually does a pretty good job at like explaining what happened yeah mm -hmm. even though it's like absolutely insane oh well, i can... wanted to go uh through with the the terrain we were talking about they were i think it's called pocosins pocosins mm -hmm. I, I don't know how to pronounce it but the the north carolina terrain was like all wetland and it was like the thickest brush ever so that's when like Johnston just said, "Fuck it, I'm I'm retreating." But here we go, Mary. Let's look. Let's talk about Mary Boykin Miller's spiral to hell. Talking about MBM. We're, we're going farther to As hell. As opposed to uh, Mohammed bin Salman. Yeah. She just gets worse and worse. Mm. Tell me, a racist <laughs> didn't take defeat real good. <laughs> All right, here we go. This is April nineteenth, eighteen sixty-five. My husband is rarely at home. I sleep with the girls, and my room is given up to soldiers. General Lee's few but undismayed, his remnant of an army, or the part from the south and west, sad and crestfallen, pass through Chester. Many discomforted heroes find their way up these stairs. They say Johnston will not be caught as Lee was. He can retreat. That is his trade. If he, would, <laughs> if he would not fight Sherman in the hill country of Georgia, what will he do but retreat in the plains of North Carolina with Grant, Sherman, and Thomas all the four? That's, she explained, that, that's crazy that these civilians actually know. Well, she's more connected because her husband was like a senator exactly. and uh, interior uh, interior of the state or something mm. but also that whether it was legitimate or not uh sherman had a paranoia of the media giving away the presence of his troops positions and all this shit so she probably literally had more more information than like say say northern people did about the union army yeah she had transcripts of the sherman tapes before rosemary woods erased them really yeah i don't think i read that part well then you see interesting mm -hmm. thank you for your facts mm-hmm now, the war, even though this happened, the war was not over yet. Confederate forces roamed the countryside. When Johnston heard of Lee's surrender, he brought peace terms to Confederate President Jefferson Davis, but demanded that Johnston keep fighting. Stop retreating. You fight. You turn around and fight. Jefferson Davis is a whole nother episode. I couldn't really get into too much depth with him. You know anything about Jefferson Davis? Not that much, but you know, don't. I mean, you can't get into too much depth. I mean, this is a, yeah, I'm trying a rather to like, broad conflict. I mean, guys yeah. just just spend their whole lives studying one guy or one. I mean, it's we'll a, probably hit the Civil War with like so many characters. Like it's yeah. the most crazy character. Uh, the problem was Jefferson Davis didn't know what it was like to have William Tecumseh Sherman hunting your ass. Wow. Johnston refused to follow orders, and on April 26th, he met with Sherman. Now, as all this was going on, fucking war's at an end. Lincoln gets assassinated on April 14th in the middle of all this. Now, when that happens, do you think the South is like, all right, we got a chance now. We just took off the head of the snake. But I think it was too way too far gone at that point realistically yes like they should have probably got that done like i think enough of them were f forward thinking enough to realize that it would it would just be a protracted uh, war of attrition and then it was just yeah. gonna it would they there might be some hope there might be a few minor successes they would burn but, each other out but it would just the just the sheer might of numbers uh, of the union was, was going to chase them down i mean the the terms instead of mean somewhat progressive then would just turn outright atlantic and uh yeah but here's the the moment when 
Sherman finds out that Lincoln was assassinated, he gets a letter from E.M. Stanton, the Secretary of War, to Major General Sherman. President Lincoln was murdered about 10 o'clock last night in his private box at Ford's Theater in this city by an assassin who shot him in the head with a pistol ball. At the same hour, Mr. Seward's house was entered by another assassin who stabbed the secretary in several places. It is thought he may possibly recover, but his son, Fred, may possibly die of the wounds he received. The assassin of the president leaped from the private box, brandishing his dagger and exclaiming, Seek Semper Tyrannus. Virginia is revenged. Mr. Lincoln fell senseless from his seat and continued in that condition until 22 minutes past 10 o'clock this morning, at which time he breathed his last. Vice President Johnson now becomes president and will take the oath of office and assume the duties today. And that was E.M. Stanton. How crazy is that, like the detail on that letter? That he just, the first letter you find out, you know, like he jumped out of the box, mm. did all this shit. We, and we actually covered this. Well, people wrote that way. Yeah, it's so much. The writing is like so detailed. But we, if you go back and listen to our very first episode, Henry mm -hmm. Rathbone, we go through this whole event in detail of what Wilkes Booth actually did. He, he was stabbing people and shit. So Johnston brings these peace orders. Lincoln's assassinated. Johnston brings these peace orders. He doesn't want to fight anymore. Sherman wants to sit down with him. But Sherman never got approval from uh, never got approval from President Andrew Jackson for surrender terms. It was enough to end everything. If Johnston actually gives up, the Carolinas, Georgia, and Florida in the biggest surrender of the war, it was over. But no, Jefferson Davis said keep fighting. Sherman didn't have approval to sit down with him and. This all could have gone another way, but Jefferson Davis was already ruined at this point. He's just ordering from like the weakest uh, standpoint, but he still would not surrender. His plan was to either make it to Britain or France because they would most definitely show him some sympathy. As opposed to Canada or Sweden? I don't know. Why would he go to Britain or France uh. instead of just trying to... Well, I guess the southern, could... the south had support for the British uh, during the Revolutionary War. Maybe that's what he's going for. Um, I believe they got rid of slavery before us. The Britain, oh gosh, yeah, yeah. it was long before. Um, but you know, when your old enemy is taking a hit, like it's never, you know, fuck it. Hundred years later, we'll come out swinging. And in France, in France, yeah, in France, he could probably adopt a more leisurely aristocratic life and have a vineyard or two, or. He make make just, cheese or something. Oh, I thought we were talking for reinforcements. No, we're talking okay, to just to just sanctuary, to, just to leave. Yeah, yeah, just to get out of what there. What a bitch! He could have <laughs> just stayed and been fine. Like they let everyone off the hook. Where, where's just... that Southern pride? <laughs> this this flag don't mean racism. No, but this it means, it's about heritage, not it, hate. It means bitch made. We run to France. This is hilarious, though. What he does next, Jefferson Davis. <laughs> He didn't even get far. He was easily captured right away. And when the Union soldiers found him, he was disguised as a woman. He was trans? Yeah. The first trans in America. Or, no, he was just cross-dressing, not a trans. Sorry no, he that. was a trans. No, trans for that period of time, he was a woman. He was, <laughs> he was gender fluid. This is so funny. Was he poly as well? Poly and bi? Who knows? But D Davis swears... That he did not dress as a woman. I did not dress <laughs> as a woman. He said his wife gave him a shawl because he was like sick. And that's when they caught him. He was looking like that. That's so funny, dude. Like I'm, I, I was definitely fleeing away as a little bitch, but did he have time? I to ain't shave no gay. His, yeah. I sleep with this wig on. Yeah. Did he have time to shave his beard? I don't know what the fuck he did. Or was he clean shaven? <laughs> and then other funny stories about homophobia. But he was only in jail for two years mm. when he got captured. That's what I mean. Like, you could have just not done that, not dressed as a woman, and scarred your legacy because you dressed as a woman. Sometimes you just want to put on a dress. <laughs> I know. I kind of do sometimes. Mm. But they, they, he literally got paid out by wealthy northerners. Mm-hmm. 
Now, May 23rd, 1865 was a time of celebration as the victorious Union armies headed back to Washington, D.C. They wanted to showcase their strength to the nation. This whole, this is, there's a lot of pictures of this thing. Have you ever seen this? The uh, review of the armies. It is New York City. Is it New York? No. D.C. So at Washington, D.C., every army from the war comes there and waits their turn to walk the the route. Past the review stage. Yeah, to everyone, like, cheering them on. Like, it's just packed. North and south? I, th- I think. I didn't read anything about this. I don't think they would have let that happen. Mm. So the first day of the review saw General George Meade riding his favorite horse, Blackie, leading the Army of the Potomac. 80,000 troops rode from Capitol Hill down through Pennsylvania Avenue while crowds of thousands cheered, Gettysburg, Gettysburg. I Sounds went, like Cheeseburg, anyway. You never went to Gettysburg. You didn't see You don't I know saw. what I saw. I stepped foot on those battlefields. You got yeah. anything to say for yourself? Silence. They finally reached the presidential review stand. Grant was sitting right next to President Andrew Johnson. On the other side of Grant sat Sherman. Sherman and his troops haven't slept for two full days before it was their turn for the review of the Army of Tennessee and the Army of Georgia. He had two armies following him. Knowing that he was going to get his men to look as polished as the Potomac, the only thing that shined was their rifles. They glistened in the sunlight. So they looked like shit. They were all, the other army was like coming through all shiny, perfect. Well, they had time to get ready for a parade. These other guys didn't. Yeah, they were just, like, tried to put shit together because they had the one day before when they Mm. got there. But the main thing that they took care of was their guns. That's a a good thing. Their guns were polished. Yeah. Yeah. That's what people noticed. As they were marching, bands played the song Marching Through Georgia. If we get to that, the thing about adding to the legend of the Westerners, was this the precursor to the migrations west and 40 acres and a mule and so forth? Yeah, Sherman, Sherman is the originator of the 40 acres and a mule, but... Legend has it. and then But this legend of the Westerners, yeah, he the followed, West, what was this where we got... The Western theater. Go west, young man, go west and invest. They were right? known as the Westerners. Westerners. Yeah, and the uh, the Easterners was um, Grant and all them because uh-huh. they were fighting in the Western Theater. How the hell are the car- the Western Theater? That's what they called. Okay, it. I don't Fair fucking enough. know what they name their shit. It's well, the South. Shit. They don't learn geography. It should be the Southern Theater. You think, mm. right? I don't know. Theater don't even get me started. He's, he's got the army of Tennessee, though. So. Don't even get me started about how the South is really just the Southern East Coast yeah. and not the rest of the yeah. South. It's the theater of the absurd. You could say that. Oh my! I did. God. There was another thing that Sherman stuck out. They were, even though they were dirty, he invited freed slaves, laborers, adventurers, and scavengers to follow in his footsteps. Every so you got these perfect armies marching. Mm-hmm. He shows up with like this whole group of people behind his army marching with them. That is crazy. There's a bunch of pictures. I didn't see one of I don't think I saw one of Sherman's, mm. but I saw another one. The march took six hours. Sherman cried when he got to the stand. He like hugged his children and he just got all sappy, dude. Sherman bid farewell to his troops, saying, As in war, you have been good soldiers, so in peace, you will be good citizens. That same day, his armies were disbanded. I would keep reading from Mary's diary, but she just complained about slaves for the rest of her life. (laughs) Complained about slaves or the lack of slaves? I kept... I kept going to, like, dates at this time, Mm -hmm. and it was just like, yeah, um, we had slaves, but... The Union didn't have enough money to feed them after they freed them and stuff. Like, trying to, like, defend that they were actually doing the right thing. Like, Mm. taking care of them. 
Mm-hmm. She would say stuff like that, trying to like. Well, that was a common theme and that gave rise to that. The hallmark of uh, slavery was not cruelty and so forth. That they there were there were good plantation owners and yeah, like the to... movie uh, Twelve Years a Slave. Did you see that? You got to see that one. Mm-hmm. That is probably the most accurate uh, depiction of slavery. It is like. Like, I get the chills watching that movie. You got to check that out. 12 Years a Slave. Just two months after the war, Sherman took command in the military division of the Mississippi. He focused on protecting wagon trails, mostly from Native Americans. He even wrote to Grant about it. We are not going to let a few thieving, ragged Indian check and stop the progress of the railroads. Through all the hostility with the tribes, Sherman still became a member of the Indian Peace Commission. We're talking about a contradiction. Peace for all. Peace for all. Peace through strength. Peace through, Equal rights. Peace through smallpox blankets. That actually turns into a really bad thing eventually. Oh, yeah. Trailed. <laughs> he was peaceful for like. Five minutes. Yeah, it wasn't Winchester, the one that was. And I didn't know whiskey and contaminated blankets and other things. I didn't know when I was like writing this. I'm like, oh, he was in the peace commission, Mm -hmm. and then I got like a paragraph down. I'm like, oh, he murdered. Yeah, it was real Orwellian. Yeah, he was in the peace. He was still trying to protect everything, but the only thing he knew how to do was murder Mm -hmm. and burn things. Now, close encounters followed wherever William went. On a three-week inspection through Texas to see federal military posts, he crossed paths with the Warren wagon train. Less than an hour after Sherman moved on the wagons, they were attacked by the Kiowa War Party. Is that Kiowa? Kiowa? That's one of the Indian tribes, Kiowa. They had a war party of 100 natives. He was literally there an hour before this happened. Sherman would have been dead, probably. Twelve Teamsters were captured from the wagon train. They were mutilated. One guy was even buried alive. Sherman was informed of the attack and ordered Colonel Ronald S. McKenzie to bring the Indians to justice. And this was known as the Salt Creek Massacre. The justice or the incident? What do you mean? Like when when they when they got their revenge or when the Indians got that? Oh, when the Indians like got them. mutilated them. That was the Salt Creek. Massacre. Yeah, the Salt Creek massacre. This is like we could probably do a side episode on this event. This was like a whole bit a big thing where they. This is what happened. This is how they got caught. So they were about to hunt them, like going a manhunt for these guys. They. The uh, Kiowa War Party, they brought all their stolen goods directly to Fort Still, Oklahoma. One of the Kiowa tribesmen started bragging about the shit that just went down. The three chiefs were immediately captured and ordered to stand trial. So they just got themselves caught. As soon as he bragged about it, they just captured him. And the uh, the three chiefs, I think they were known as like the big three or something. Mm-hmm. So one of them, uh, Satank, attempted to escape and he was killed. Big Tree and Santana, Santata were sentenced to death, but it was negotiated to get them released on good behavior. They went back on the warpath eventually. Now, Congress was creating new positions. You know how they create like a bunch of new positions like every year just to have like new titles and stuff. The position general of the army went to Grant. Now Sherman moved up to lieutenant general. Anytime Grant moved up, Sherman moved up right in his spot. When Grant became president in 1869, Sherman was the commanding general of the United States Army. He even filled in as Secretary of War for a little bit. Being in charge came with every Indian war across the country. It was a constant battle. Humanitarians constantly harassed Sherman about killing the natives. There was the Modoc War, the Great Sioux War of 1876, and the Nez Pierce War. Now, those I can't even get into those right now because we're though all three of them could be episodes. Hmm. He used scorched earth on them. He eradicated buffalo from the lands. This is Sherman. Just hmm. murdering hmm. buffaloes now hmm. by hand with a knife. 
He would walk up, kill buffaloes, one stroke of a knife. That's what legend says. The worst was to come. No, it wasn't. This is the worst. You kill a buffalo, there's nowhere to go from there. You don't kill it to Tonka. That is a ancient... Um, I don't know what I'm saying. Well, they, later on, they sent trains through there, and they would stop in the middle of the herds, and guys would just stick their rifles out the window and kill all the buffalo. Would they eat them? Or would no, they just leave them? just leave them to rot. Oh, my God. It's not like they had refrigerated cars to you know go out and you slaughter them and get send a it to Chicago. Get a off it, grow it up real quick. As soon as the buffalo were gone, the natives had to move on because there was no more buffalo. Yeah. One of the his main speeches was at the Michigan Military Academy, and that's where he said the famous words: "War is hell." <laughs> that's it. War is I hell. I will not accept, nor will I. I will not seek, nor will I accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Yeah, that is. That's what LBJ actually said. In no, he said the same exact thing. We're gonna get to that right now. He mm-hmm. did the same thing. But first off, he st- he helped establish the Command and General Staff College, a.k.a. Fort Leavenworth. But he retired from the Army on February 8, 1884. Now, he was living the rest of his life mostly in New York City. William became a man of the arts. He loved theater, painting, and was asked to speak at events all over the country. The country was going to need a new president in 1884, Sherman was approached and proposed to run as Republican candidate. He wasn't going to have any part of it. He spoke on the offer. I will not accept if nominated, and I will not serve if elected. Why? You don't want to become president? All I want to do is bathe in blood and fire. (laughs) Is there a problem, sir? I didn't think so. Yeah, so he denies getting elected. He did a bunch of other shit. He joined Boone and Crockett Club, protected habitats from hunting after he just murdered a thousand buffalo. Now he's like trying to protect the hunting grounds. Six days after his 71st birthday, Sherman died of pneumonia in New York City, February 14th, 1891. President Benjamin Harrison sent a telegram to his family saying, All American flags will be flown at half-mast across the entire country. Harrison even wrote a note to the Senate of the House of Representatives that said, He was an ideal soldier and shared to the fullest the esprit du corps of the army, but he cherished the civil institutions organized under the Constitution and was only a soldier that these might be perpetuated in undiminished usefulness and honor. Five days later, on a bitter cold day in New York City, Joseph E. Johnston carried William Tecumseh Sherman's casket through the streets. Honor! Respect! <laughs> yeah, Johnston came back to be a pallbearer for side, Sherman. Side note, I have no idea who the fuck Benjamin Harrison is. He's just a president. I, That's it. We have a, isn't there a Harrison rest stop on the turnpike? Probably. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, the Harrison house is you know, not. I refuse to do a Benjamin Harrison episode. We won't have to. No, he didn't do anything. No. Boring. One of uh, John Joseph E. Johnson's friends asked him to please put a coat on. This dude was old as fuck, trying to carry a casket in like freezing weather. He knew that like, he was going to get sick, and uh, Johnston replied, "If I were in his place and he was standing in mine." He would not put on his hat. Johnston did get sick <laughs> and, died. and died of pneumonia one bump later. That's kind of beautiful in a way. Yeah, I can't believe he what are, actually What are you going to do out. without your arch rival? I know, you're nothing. Sherman's son, Thomas Ewing Sherman, became a Jesuit priest and presided over a second funeral, and this was held in St. Louis. Did he become the, instead of the, like, St. Francis Xavier becoming the Apostle of the Indies, did this guy become the Apostle of the Indians? Who, his son? Yeah. I'm not sure what he, what the fuck he was doing out there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where the fuck he went, why he went there. Just doing Jesuit Just shit. Just doing Jesuit shit. That sounds fun. What do Jesuits do? Villanova. Christianized no. savages. Is Vill- Villanova, are they Franciscan? They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're not they're not Jesuit. No. They're one of the other ones. Yeah. I think they're, they're Mormons. They're, they're not. <laughs> they have one university in its Go culture. visit William Tecumseh's grave. 
in Calvary Seminary. As a college, as a high school dropout, I applied to Brigham Young University on a whim. I got accepted with a full scholarship. It's a shitty university. Brigham so. Young sucks. I'm going to get feedback for that. Uh, There's no l- such thing as bad publicity. <laughs> l- luckily, Mormons don't have computers yet. No, but seriously, the Civil War, Tecumseh Sherman, Grant, Meade. When I went to Gettysburg, it is like the craziest thing how these do. I think it was uh, Pickett's Charge, where literally it's just an open field. And they just battled on an open field. And then Meade had the mountain that he was on, and they were just... It's there's like forts up there. If you have a chance, go visit all your local Civil War at spots because they're everywhere. You won't realize how many how, died at Gettysburg. I can't remember. I can't remember the number, but it was a lot. Just pick a charge, like a, so many died. Mm. Most haunted in America. I mm. did a little haunted uh, ghost hunting there. It was insane. We had one of them uh, EVP re- or no? What's the thing where it scans the? It scans all the channels, like the radio channels. I don't know what that like, is. There's a scanner, yeah. Bearcat you, yeah, scanner. it like keeps going through all the channels real fast, and you hear like words come through. And we were talking to this little ghost boy in the woods, and this dude was asking him questions, and I swear, like every answer was like perfect. Did you see the little uh, ghost orbs? Yeah, I was going to say about specks, the orbs. Specks yeah. of dust? I didn't see any orbs. No but, dust? But the voices were like, it was really... They were talking. Stop, and stop, then, but this, stop doing heroin. But no, this other, this so there was this child ghost, and then this other manly ghost came and chased him away. Mm. I'm scared of needles, that's Michael. That's unfortunate. I'm scared. <laughs> but that's all we got for William Tecumseh Sherman, the Civil War. I hope you, everyone enjoyed this episode. A lot of information in this episode. A lot of, inf- I mean, I couldn't even get like half of it down too there's so much Mm -hmm. but uh thank robert Kraft for coming in for this episode for his first and final episode and brian davies uh for whatever i do (laughs) and i'm mike bonomo this is fight the fate